and welcome to the Alba Diversity Podcast, an Alba network undertaking to profile and highlight diverse and immigrant neuroscientists. The Alba network aims to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences. We talk to neuroscientists across positions, career paths and backgrounds to better understand their personal journeys. We showcase the grit and determination it takes to overcome hurdles as part of underrepresented or minority groups. We talk about what keeps them going as individuals and as neuroscientists in today's world. Hi, so I'm Basma. Currently, I'm a postdoc at NYU Abu Dhabi, working uh, in the lab of Dr. Dipesh Chaudhry. My current research involves investigation of the link between sleep and depression. It's a pretty fascinating field for me with a lot of implication in uh, real life, and that's what motivates me to get involved in this whole project. I did my PhD at NYU New York with Dr. Andre Fenton, investigating the neural impairments associated with the cognitive impairments in a mass model of fragile X syndrome, the model of autism. What was the first time though you thought about brain and neurons? How did it all begin? It was really in my undergrad year. So we had a small department for neuroscience called Center for Neuroscience, mainly focused on system neuroscientists. So there were physicists and they were doing a lot of research in vision neuroscience uh, using monkeys and primates. My trajectory changed for pre-med to research really because of the amazing professors I had there. I had two professors, they taught us uh, behavior integrative neuroscience and they really focused on making sure that we understand the concepts and we question the hypothesis. It was literally a scientific method in action and I fell in love with this. I found myself happy learning it and thinking this way. The emphasis of the NYU teaching, and it's really all about the question and how would you investigate it? What would be the best approach to investigate it? From your story, I can see that promoting critical thinking is so important. And I I see that it really propelled you into neuroscience because there was somebody who came and said, it's okay to ask questions. And in fact, you should be asking questions. Yes, absolutely. Can I do this? Can I um, ask a question and plan an experiment? Once you you get the excitement, you feel the excitement, that's, um, it becomes an itch or something like an urging need that you have to fulfill. So, so yeah, this is when I decided to study neuroscience. I remember when I was walking as an undergrad in the hallway, I would see postdocs and PhD students analyzing signals and data. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I just want to do that. You know, it's like a, a kid in a candy store. I was like, oh, this is amazing. So right now I work on the link between sleep and depression. So this is actually a topic that relates to a lot of people because all of us go through stress and all of us go through some sleep problems when we have stress. And what I'm doing right now is literally investigating the link between both of them.
I'm investigating something that's very well documented in clinical research, in the clinical field, however, not documented at all in the basic field, which is there is a link between prior sleep disturbance and uh, the vulnerability to stress disorders. And they notice a very strong association between the sleep impairments before stress, before exposure to stress, and the psychiatric outcomes, anxiety or stress or depression, actually, even. So um, insomnia is a very common sleep disturbance, and there's a very strong correlation, and it's actually a strong predictor of depression. Basically, trying to see if there's an animal model, we can find this relationship. So we're using a, a model uh, called chronic social defeat stress. That's a very widely acclaimed model for depression. The beauty of this paradigm is not all the mice become depressed. Some mice actually adapt to stress and become resilient. So you get to see the differences between what's resilience and what's susceptibility to stress. And what I did was very simple. I basically just recorded sleep before and after. So and if you trace that to before stress, you can actually see what these disease mice are different uh, even before stress. And maybe that's why that might be uh, predisposed more or more vulnerable, more to stress. And we have a hypothesis, maybe some early life stresses. So basically what we believe is like, okay, one of the homeostatic processes is basically impaired and that may be leading to higher vulnerability to stress. And so we're trying to see really what made this homeostatic mechanism in these individuals worse than the others. And we're trying also to trace it back to early life stresses. So we're basically going from out to in. So we're looking at some hypotheses about what's happening and then we, we're tracing it to molecular mechanism and neural processes that might underlie this vulnerability to stress. Hopefully it will have implication for this vulnerable populations. And I was reading one of the clinical uh, paper and they were actually mainly talking about the teenagers, some of them being exposed to daily bullying or social pressures. And this is when they change, their body changes, they're concerned about their physique and their, the way they look. So actually it's a very stressful time. It's very important if we can look at any biomarkers for those vulnerable population and trying to help them intervene before the problem gets worse and get out of control like some of them developing depression or actually even committing suicide, which is quite sad for such a young age. Now that I'm a postdoc and having my own projects and planning my own projects and facing failure, maybe my papers doesn't qualify for the journal. So yes, there's, there's these defeats which are painful yeah. on the surface, but actually they're very useful and you need them because that's going to make me grow. I feel like that kind of attitude, you, you really have to work to build it. Well, I have, yeah, I had to work to build it because I had a lot of disappointments. <laughs> you had to get through it by thinking positively because otherwise you'll stop. But it's good also that you're seeing yourself growing and then you say one day my outcome will, will definitely reflect my growth. Exactly. Uh, I think for almost all of us, it's an uphill climb and the way you look at it is so healthy. And I hope like people who are listening to this can can take that away from from, you know, our conversation that failure is okay. And yes, you'll feel bad, but you have to look at it differently so that it helps you grow. I have no other option because I cannot stop. We can shift gears. So is there somebody in your life that you think is a mentor? So I don't know if you can tell from my story, I'm more into translational and applied neuroscience. I think neuroscience is a very important topic. Mm -hmm. We have those fascinating scientists. I mean, when you just read their work and 
and you need the precision of their work and everything. It's just, it blows your mind. But then I always, I always ask myself, I was like, okay, so what? Can you step out for a moment out of your lab coat and just see what the people around you and community need? Mental health is a very big problem. So I'm looking for anyone who's trying to take neuroscience out and do something good for mental health for it. Right. Something in psychiatric drugs discovery, like it's it's basically on hold right. right now. A lot of the neuropsychiatric drugs are 50 years old. They were the same drugs we had 50 years ago. How come we never really made any progress? So I have an interest about what can we do with neuroscience in midlife. I'm looking for those people. Uh, I'm still looking. <laughs> feel like you're part of a minority group um, in academia, in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. Have you had problems? Have you faced discrimination because of this at any point? I was lucky because, again, I went to school in New York, you know, NYU. New York is very diverse. NYU are very amazing scientists which have high degree of respect for your ability, no matter where you come from. So I never actually felt the discrimination at all. I haven't experienced it myself, but there's something that for sure you can see that some groups are not very well represented around us. So it's there. I hear it. So speaking of looking at people around you, diversity is something everybody talks about now, right? Especially now, even more so with how things have been changing with COVID and how institutions have been forced to rethink what it means and their hiring practices and things like that. Um, it's, it's become this really overwhelming catchphrase. But what does diversity mean to you? There is something that I definitely see and it's very striking, but I wouldn't say about race, but it is about gender. We still very, 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 very badly presented in the academic position, the woman. And, and that's annoying. Why is it still like that? Here in the department, we only have two female professors. They're hiring more now. Mm-hmm. They were really looking for a woman. But then I remember I was having a talk with my supervisor, Depesh, actually, when, whenever we attend a job talk. And I think even though we very misrepresented as a woman, but I also like to be fair. And I always say, well, yeah, it's not because she's a woman. We have to hire her. Yes, I do feel the lack of presence. For me, I'm also standing firm that it should not lead to lower standards. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You have to treat, you have to treat the candidate as a candidate first, right? So yeah, so it's tough. I feel it, but I also don't know how to solve it. Like I do agree and I stand that we should not lower the standards. And I don't think that we have lower standards of performance. So that's why I'm a little bit struggling. It's like, what's happening here? I mean, Again, maybe I'm, I don't see the whole picture. My, my environment is very small and limited. So, uh, so I'm Egyptian originally. I um, grew up in an environment where, you know, they always tell you if you're smart, you go to medical school or a PhD and whatever. So I think it's really all about what kind of environment around you what kind of message you're going to get when you're little. How did that go? Did you have people who were very positive and who, when you said, I want to do medical school and, and were they like supportive? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Girls in general, we do very good in school. Actually, um, do even better than uh, we even outperform. With I can boys. I can attest to that as an Indian. I mean, in the Indian yeah. system, girls do extremely well. And we're I mean, absolutely much better than boys in a lot of cases. 
in the Middle East, it's a little bit, it depends on where you're from. So I mean, Egypt is not conservative like other places in the Middle East. So actually education is very well encouraged among women. Uh, the only problem though that they maybe they tell you, okay, like do your best and come whatever, but they always kind of at certain age and the message to you is like, well, you have to focus on being uh, a wife and a mom. You had the message that push you to be better and to dream and to have these goals and aspiration of being very good in school and having this career. But then at some point it stops and the, the, the message changed. Well, but you, what are you going to do with all of these degrees? You have no kids and no husbands. And I had the misfortune of actually getting divorced. My marriage fell apart oh, uh, four years ago. So, um, and this is when I realized, well, finally, uh, well, that's, I have to take care of myself and my kids. And so this message start becoming so useless at this particular moment. So I know what I'm gonna teach my girls is like, I'm never, ever gonna ever make them know that it's important to be a mom and a wife. Uh, I always gonna push them that you have to be successful, you have to have a career and you have to take care of yourself and be responsible. And I'll make sure that uh, that will be the message. And when they move on in their personal life, I will always encourage them that's how can I help them with balancing well, maybe there'll be a little bit of change of priorities, but it doesn't mean that your, your mental capability or your dreams are going to disappear. Being a single parent is not a cakewalk. And I hope you have a good support group around you, but, but it also shows, it also tells me and it also shows me how strong you are and oh, how determined you. you are to protect them by empowering them. And I think that's the best way yeah. to protect them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there's a, a movie called Mandaliza Smile or something. It's one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite movies. And it seemed that, you know, when they, it's kind of the same message. It's like the girls are very smart and they're being pushed to be very, very smart, but then to be a wife, a smart wife. So it seemed that at least, at least my family, the environment was like, oh yeah, be smart and be smart and whatever. And my dad used to buy me books. I wouldn't say my dad, but maybe I would say my mom, maybe my mom. And for her, the message switched. And then I felt at some point very, that's one of, one of the phases where I was lost in my life. I was like, oh. So um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the difference. So I think it's really about the message. Going back to your question, mm -hmm. the message uh, being sent in these groups. But I, I like the fact how you used um, how you used an example from your own life and talked about the messaging instead. I think that's that's very important. I think, it's, I think it's very important. Yeah, it 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 hit close with me because, uh, like I said, Indian society has the exact same problem. <laughs> Last question, we're almost done. So uh, you are a single mom. How do you manage? Do you have something that you can share with us so that, you know, people who are in similar positions can learn from you? What can I tell you? Well, they should listen to those women who actually made it. The corporate world is very brutal world, very competitive, long, 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 long hours, even longer than science. So, but then see how those women made it. Yeah. Some women, they will, not have the life that you want to have but then the woman that they have the life that you want to have uh what what do they do like indra Nui was a good example for me 
people have to listen to her when they have to take tips about how can you be successful because she's very successful and had two kids. I think I remember she she actually said something that was contradicting to everything. What woman cannot have it all or do it all? That's actually a very bad saying because this is putting too much pressure on you. So for me, I think, well, I'm not going to be the most amazing mom who cooks and whatever, do those birthday cakes and whatever. No, um, because I can't. And I think it's very important to know what you can do and what you cannot do. And she also said that it's all about delegation. You can ask someone to help you, ask someone to help you. Uh, if you have uh, parents who can help you. And she's actually advised, even though she can afford daycare, but she had to ask her mom to supervise the daycare. So I like this practical application and the fact that we cannot always portray women as being a hero who can do everything. I, was like, I think this is very bad. Yeah, it's quite toxic. Was, and it puts so much pressure on the it's women. Pressure, the stress is going to be so bad. But no, it's really about kind of have some clarity of what you want to do. And this is where you put most of your efforts and you delegate as much as you can and you focus on what do you want your kids to get out of you so quality versus quantity if you can spend very little time because we end up spending very little time together but it's good quality time and focus on this um, it's just about being practical and not lying to yourself it's gonna work out that's so hopeful <laughs> that is so nice I'm so glad we're ending on such a note it will definitely help women to know that they don't have to have that kind of pressure. Because like you say, you cannot do everything. I can't even imagine what you're going through being a single mom in the middle of a pandemic and still doing science. So kudos to you, really. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alba Diversity Podcast. To know more about the ALBA network and its activities to promote equity and diversity in the brain sciences, please visit alba.network. You can also register as a member for free and take full advantage of the network's resources. For more details, follow the Twitter handle at network underscore ALBA or ALBA NetBrain on Facebook.